0: Father, we are rejoicing in the kindness and mercy that you have demonstrated to us, the grace that you have given to us. We're thankful for the grace gift of your word, the grace gift of your spirit, the gracious gift of your son, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life up, laid his life down that we might receive, first, forgiveness of our sin, secondly, a perfect righteousness that results in eternal life. We, We are amazed and indebted as your children. This is all a work of your grace, and we want to acknowledge that in every possible way this morning. Help us now as we Open your word. Your Father, please help us to set aside any distractions and remove any of our weariness, discouragement, frustration, and weakness. And in this time, strengthen us by your Spirit And encourage us with your word. We need this desperately. We commit this to you in Jesus' name, Amen. Guarantees in life—you know the expression: there are no guarantees in life except death and taxes. We've heard that, um, and then then you're, you hear commercials, of course. Guaranteed credit, or the car is free. You've heard that one, right? You know how that works, right? They didn't tell you what the percentage was going to be. They didn't tell you what that was going to cost you. They didn't tell you how much they were going to jack up the price of the car or any of that guarantees. And then then you have the the other kinds of product guarantees. Uh, Listen, you're gonna love this. Come and purchase it. You'll love it or you'll get your money back. You've heard those guarantees on commercials, yes? I I don't sense a reson you know this is resonating with you, but they do make these promises. God makes guarantees, but he never says, or, or, I'll I'll do this, or you can have your money back, or I'll refund your time, I'll refund your resources. He doesn't have to do that. Every guarantee of God is sure. Every guarantee God has ever made will come to absolute fruition. We We can bank on it. We also know that we are under siege as the people of God. We're absolutely under siege. The world is not a fan of biblical Christianity. The world does not treasure the things of the Scriptures. And the world certainly does not treasure our Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan... Is amazingly averse to anything regarding the gospel. And so we can, we can count on the fact that anytime we are loving the gospel, loving the God of the gospel, worshiping uh, the Savior himself, Satan would oppose that with every fiber of his being, even though he doesn't have fibers in his being. He is absolutely against the church and the people of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we come to this next piece of the armor of God. In verse 16, the Bible says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances. Now, in our older translations, it will say above all. And it's not a bad translation, uh, but it does not convey the correct concept. This is not more important than any of the other pieces of the armament. It could read in addition to all of these. But the way our ESV translates it, it it gives it an interpretation. It says... Um, in every circumstance, in all circumstances, at all times. Now we recognize from our study that if we take up a piece of the armor of God, we're taking up all of the armor of God. You can't pick and choose which of the pieces you'll pick up. You're either armed with the armor of God or you are not armed with the armor of God. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can can extinguish how many of the flaming darts of the evil one? All. All. This is not a partial guarantee. This is a guarantee. God tells you and I, when we take up the shield of faith, while we are under siege... While Satan is attempting in every way, from every angle, to bring duress and distress upon our lives, the the God who equips you with the shield of faith will enable that shield of faith to extinguish every single attack of the enemy. That's a guarantee pressure in life comes from more than one direction. The satanic attack usually comes from numerous angles at once. There are issues with your marriage. There are issues with your family. You may have issues at your job. You might have financial challenges, physical challenges, mental challenges. And sometimes there's some great combination of all of these and they come from behind us and from in front of us and from the sides of us. Satan is is attacking us. Quite honestly, there is no way, there is no way that any one of us has the ability to fend off all of these attacks that come fast and furious. We don't have the ability. You might be very smart, you might be very well aware, you might uh, have really great plans of how you'll defend yourself, but I I guarantee you, as sure as you're sitting in this room or listening wherever you are, you cannot, by yourself, of your own resources, fend off all of these attacks. But God has not left you to your own resources and he has not told you that you are alone in this. God does not give us a self-help talk. And in the midst of our need, God tells us he has offered himself. Instead, he tells us to take up the shield of faith, take up the shield of faith. Now, if, as we're looking at the imagery of this, we recognize uh, in Paul's day in the first century, he may have had in mind a Roman soldier. And these soldiers would have these gigantic door-like shields, two and a half feet wide, four feet tall, uh, usually two planks of wood that are glued together covered with animal skin, uh, around the edges. They would have some kind of an iron or a bronze to hold it all together. You can really see how this is going to be really good for running. You've got a, a shield that weighs like, what, 100 pounds? We're not really well protected, but at least you can hide behind this door-looking thing. And, and I remember in, in some sources reading about the Roman uh, armies as they would come into a new city in, in, in a, for an attack, there would be these large shields at the front. They would line them shoulder to shoulder and almost as if they're locking the shields together uh, and then down the sides the same thing. And then on top, they they might even use the same door-like shields or they would use a -a two-and-a-half-foot round shield and it would be up like this, almost as if when the Roman army would come into a new city, they would come in like this armored tortoise. And they were really impenetrable, army as they came into a new place. Um, Regardless of any of that, the way this was constructed is wood, animal skin, and then around the edge is some form of of metal. Before they would enter into a battle, they would try to soak their shields in water. Now that works really well for wood and metal, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, they're not so concerned about the the long-term outlook of the shield's life. They're looking at how this might protect... Uh, the soldiers in the midst of this. And what that would do is when the enemy would take their arrow that would, may have been dipped in tar or pitch or something and light it aflame and they would pull their arrow back and, and release it. They weren't necessarily even caring if they got a soldier or not. They wanted it to hit the shield because it, inside of that thing it's made out of what? Wood. And wood and fire go really well if you want to make a campfire or cook something. But if you're using that same wood to protect you, when it's on fire, you're not so happy. Think of it this way. You have a birthday cake, right? seen one of those, and you put all these candles on top of that birthday cake. And you're not one of those newfangled people that uses the the, the flamethrower to light them. You use one of the old-style wooden matches, and you, you, you strike the match, and you go in, and you're trying to get all these 77 candles on there with this one match. What happens as that flame gets toward the end of the the little wooden part of the match? What do you start to do? Well, you either do this or blow it out or something because you don't want to be burned. So here you are entering into a a battle scene and someone shoots a fiery dart at you. It hits your shield and your shield is on fire. That's not good. What are you going to do with that shield as, as, as it gets warmer? Drop it and then you're exposed. But not only are you exposed, the guy next to you is exposed, the guy behind you is exposed. We've got real problems here. So they would dip these things in, in the water, and, and the combination of the water and the animal skin would uh, extinguish the flaming dart of the enemy. This is the, the concept that we have uh, being portrayed to us. Remember, this battle that we're in is a real battle. The enemy is not a, an impersonal enemy. He is the evil one. He's the evil one. And he is uh, hurling flaming darts. And what he wants to do is cause us to question God, to cause us to question our faith, to cause us to walk away from our faith, to walk away from God, to not trust the Bible, to not care about the people of God, to not share the gospel of God. So as the enemy hurls these things, God tells us we need to trust God. Him. You know, as you think about this enemy that we have, the Bible gives us ample information about his ability to distort the way that we view life. And these are troubling passages. I'm going to share three of them with you. You may be very well familiar with them. I think we need to take them very seriously. First of all, because it's God's word. But secondly, it strikes at this very concept of the enemy who was hurling flaming darts at us. The Bible reminds us of the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 5, we, we notice this group of people. They, they started selling off their possessions to share with one another because they were, they were people that had needs. So they would sell their property and, and give it so that everyone could be cared for. And then you you had this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their property. They kept some of the money, which would have been perfectly fine. They didn't have any obligation to give all their money. God didn't say, give all your money. They kept some of the money. And they brought the rest of it, and they brought it to the apostles and said, hey, here. We sold our property. Here is all of the money. Well, that didn't work out so well because they they were... setting themselves up to be doing something they weren't. They were lying. And here's what the Bible says. Peter is addressing Ananias. It says, but, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? We don't really have time to get into all the rest of the concept, but what i what i do want for us to recognize is that peter now we have inspired writing here peter said satan filled your heart to lie that is a little bit frightening well ananias wasn't the most spiritual guy you ever met so all right fine well let's let's take a look in on the screen at 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. This is what it says there. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited who? Come on. Let's, let's get a little bit more involved here. Incited who? David. Do you remember one of David's names or descriptions? The man after God's own heart. Is David a spiritual man? Did David love the Lord? Did David always do what was right? No. But David is a godly man. David, at numerous times, had the spirit controlling him very obviously. In fact, he wrote many psalms. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go! number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he forgot that he wasn't supposed to do this. But Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord the king, all of them, my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? So Joab, his commander of the armies, Says, I just want to remind you, David, sir, king, whatever. I want to remind you that this isn't good. That what you're asking me to do is against the command of the Lord. So David is incited by Satan to do this. Joab tries to counter it. But here's what it says. But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. What is the, what's underneath this? There's a satanic front. There's a satanic attack here. Now we do know that God also intended for this situation to go on. You can see that in a, in a parallel passage. But the, that doesn't discount what's going on here. It doesn't discount the fact that Satan is dealing with a person of God who loves the Lord and inciting them to do something contrary to the word and will of God. Well, if if you might say, well, that's an Old Testament passage, and Acts is at the beginning of the church. These are not normative, okay? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2 has something to say about this as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. The Bible says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, Patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, maybe it's an unbeliever He's talking about you know, them being capture or or save from this and and come to a knowledge of the truth. So maybe we have an unbeliever that's in in view in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's the point. You 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 can counter all of these texts if you want to. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, who is he talking to? Believers or unbelievers? And God tells us as the believers that are being addressed secondarily here from that first century, that we are to take up the shield of faith because there are flaming darts that are coming against us and those flaming darts are, are being hurled to deceive us, to counter us, to distort us, to change us, to incite us, to fill our hearts with all kinds of evil and wrong thinking. This is a real, this is a really serious situation. We, we must understand, we must realize the danger that we face. And in the face of this attack, we're not told to go to a support group. We're not told to read a self-help book. We're told to take up the shield of faith. We always have to remember the necessity of faith regarding our relationship with God. Faith and relationship with God. They go hand in hand. You cannot... Extract faith and relationship with God. They cannot be separated. You cannot have a proper relationship with God without faith. You can't have faith without a relationship with God. Faith is necessary for a relationship with God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter eleven, in verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For He or whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. i am just intermingled ESV and King James and New King James all in one verse. Thank you. Uh, remember this about faith. It is a handle for us to hold on to. It's a handle for us to hold on to. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 the Bible says this. Now faith is the assurance. In older versions the substance. Just something to hang on to. It's not, it's not something I can't hold. It's not something I can't I can't grab onto this thing. It's just, it's so elusive to me. It just keeps slipping out of my hands. Faith itself is a substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is needed, needed, necessary for justification. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is necessary for the continuation of the Christian life. The continuation of the Christian life. We don't have time to, to, to study this, but Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, lets us know this very, very clear, clearly. Um, essentially, if you were to summarize Galatians 3, 1 to 9 in this regard, uh, you could summarize it by saying this. How your Christian life began is how your Christian life must continue. It's by faith through the Holy Spirit. Faith is given in some measure to every believer. Faith is given. It's a gift. It's given. It's a grace gift in some measure to every believer. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or with sober judgment, each according to, what does it say there? The measure of faith that God has assigned. God has proportioned to each one, each believer, a measure of faith. Did you earn that faith? Did you acquire that faith with, with money? Did you acquire with much study and diligence and and hard work? No. God graciously assigned to you a portion of faith. This is essential. Faith is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Faith or faithfulness can be interpreted or uh, uh, translated both ways. Faith or faithfulness. In fact, our ESV translates it faithfulness. It's not my favorite decision that they've made in their translation. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And it says faithfulness. I say faith, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. God tells us in this satanic assault that we face, To take up the shield of faith. And then he tells us the result. He tells us the result. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All. The defense that God is offering is flawless. Flawless. It's a guarantee. A guarantee. (laughs) But when God says that he doesn't have to make any funny intonations, and he doesn't have to follow it up with another uh, uh, assurance, he says it, and that's the truth. And you know, these flaming darts come, they come with little baby ones that, they're just a little baby little thing. And then you get the really big one, and it's like, all right, I really paying attention to this one. This one, when it hits me, it's going to really hurt. Well, I'll tell you, I was sitting in my, my living room this morning. It was a little bit of a rough morning in the Clark household. Um, not everything went in accordance with my plan, and, and I don't think it went in accordance with what I would expect was God's plan. There was a little consternation in our midst, and I didn't react very well. Going to, preach, going to preach on the armor of God this morning and we're going to take, you know, celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'm, you know, not what I'm supposed to be, sat in my seat over there thinking, yeah, all, all the flaming darts of the evil one, even this one, even this small issue, No one, no one was like punching one another, this is not a big huge problem, it's just that something's not quite right in the atmosphere and, and my response to that is an ungodly demonic type response. God, this, if this doesn't work for this, then what is this what is this all about? Well, my point is it's for that too. It's, it's for these little relational issues too. it's for these little rubs too. and, and, and it works every. Single time. So when it's not working, it's not because the the plan is wrong, it's because the execution is flawed. Meaning, I have not submitted, I have not surrendered. The defense that God is offering is flawless. Take a look please with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, we want to recognize a verse that I, I would assume most of us are, fairly familiar with, where the Bible says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone like you, like me, to devour. Here's the call. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of suffering, kinds of suffering, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone in this. He follows that up, telling us that this suffering that we experience um, is is in accordance with God's plan, and his grace will perfect us through it. Nonetheless, the call, stand firm, resist him, firm in the faith, firm in your faith, even your faith, The faith that God has given to you, this gracious endowment that he has provided for you, let him enforce and reinforce your faith so that when the satanic assault and attack comes, you're standing, not in yourself, but in what you've been granted. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, for Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's literally even our, the faith. Even our, the faith. Even the faith that has been given to me that now is enacted is through me. Now, we're going to take a little pause. We're, gonna, we're about to conclude, so don't, don't fear. We're going to conclude and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Talking about faith is important, isn't it? Faith is a necessary ingredient in the Christian life, isn't it? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I mean that. I'm afraid. There are far, far too many professing believers that trust in faith please understand what I just said there are far too many professing believers that believe in faith they trust in faith they trust in their expression of faith and I want to tell you something faith in and of itself, will get you nowhere. Nowhere. Martin Lloyd-Jones captured it very well in these couple of statements. But how does faith act as our shield? The answer is that faith never points to itself. It always points to its object. This is absolutely crucial. The cults produce people who have faith in faith. But if you put your faith in faith, you are eventually undone. Faith never protects a man in and of itself. Faith does not accomplish anything in and of itself. And I'm, I am dreadfully Fearful for so many. Just just talk to people that call themselves Christians, that that do not root their faith in the gospel. It's in something else. It's in something that God doesn't say. And it's it's a dreadful, it's a dreadful experience to have these conversations. You want to try to help them. If you may misplace your faith in something weak. It will be of no service to you at all. To illustrate it, I'm trusting in this stock to be the investment that secures my future. I'm, in, uh, I'm trusting in my ability to play the right cards on this next hand. Uh, this is sure going to be the one. It's gonna, I'm going to win it big this time. Trust in the wrong thing or in the wrong person always ends up in heartache. God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to trust His Son. Faith in Christ saves. Faith in God secures. Faith in God endures. Faith in God sustains me. Not faith in faith. Placing your life in the hands of a mighty, loving, all knowing God is what results in extinguishing satanic attacks. Think of it this way at the beginning of the, the armor of God, you have put on the truth. The truth. This is foundational, it's the whole body of Christian doctrine. At the end of the particular armor, Pieces. You have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are individual truths, individual truths that help us to stand in the face of a satanic uh, onslaught. So you have the body of doctrine and individual truths that bookend this. Right in the heart of it, we have the faith—the faith that God has granted to us. It's not faith even in the the the, the doctrine. It's not faith in the verses. It's faith in the God. Is your faith resting in the one who spoke the world into existence? Is your faith resting in the one who gave up the glory of heaven to become a baby? Is your faith in the one that perfectly fulfilled every demand of the Father and of the law of the land and the law of the word? Is your faith in the one who laid his life down as a ransom price for your sin? Is your faith in the one who, who, who was buried in the third day, rose again? The faith. The faith is based upon the person. The person that God has revealed to us. God wants us to trust him. If your faith is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, listen carefully. If your faith is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, your sin is gone. Amen. Your guilt is gone. Your condemnation, the condemnation that you deserve, that condemnation is gone because of the one who laid his life down as a sacrifice. You'll never be able to say, my faith has made me well. You'll be able to say, God has made me well. God has saved my soul. God has given me life. God has granted to me forgiveness. God has granted to me righteousness. God has granted to me union, union with the God of all glory. God has guaranteed my eternal future. It's because of him. God has made me well. God has prepared me for the future. As we close this, I want to remind you of of a man that came to Jesus. He was begging him about his son. My son since he was little. He's been, he's been troubled. My son since he's little. He, he doesn't do uh, he can't control himself. He throws himself into the fire. No, no one's been able to help my son. You're, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't help my son. Uh, please help him. And Jesus said, Oh, if, if you believe all things are possible. And the man said to him, showing something beyond. Uh, healing for his son. He, he had a, maybe a little bit better understanding of what God is doing here. He said, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Ladies and gentlemen, you know you can pray that same prayer. Satan is attacking you, he hates you, he's trying to thwart you, he's trying to distort the truth in your life. God. I don't have what it takes. Help my unbelief. Give me the boldness of faith to trust you in the face of the deepest, longest, most challenging trial. I need you. I wonder, might that be one of those prayers in accordance with his will? I say yes. Believer, you have everything you need. And what you have in faith doesn't come from yourself. It comes from him. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. And we we think of of these concepts. and, And we are rightly challenged. And we're thankful that you've given us a solution that is a guarantee. And yet, there are so many times that we don't see that coming to pass. And so we recognize that it's because we are not truly trusting you. And in those moments, we pray that you would would help us to, to turn to you and to ask you to give us the faith that we need to endure the midst of the storm so that we, with the Lord Jesus, will be asleep in the stern of the ship. We pray that you'd give us clarity in these things and help us as we celebrate the Lord's table together that we would commit ourselves to you That we would see the cause for celebration. That we would truly trust you. And we pray, Father, for anyone in this room that does not trust you. that, That even through the course of this time, you would open their eyes to see what Christ has done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.